Section 7 of A Treatise Concerning the Principles of Human Knowledge by George Barclay. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Of the Principles of Human Knowledge Continued. 131. Objection of Mathematicians. Answer. Have we not therefore reason to conclude they are both in the wrong, and that there is in effect no such thing as parts infinitely small, or an infinite number of parts contained in any finite quantity? But you will say that if this doctrine obtains it will follow the very foundations of geometry are destroyed and those great men who have raised that science to so astonishing a height have been all the while building a castle in the air to this it may be replied that whatever is useful in geometry and promotes the benefit of human life does still remain firm and unshaken on our principles that science considered as practical will rather receive advantage than any prejudice from what has been said but to set this in a due light may be the proper business of another place for the rest though it should follow that some of the more intricate and subtle parts of speculative mathematics may be paired off without any prejudice to truth yet i do not see what damage will be thence derived to mankind on the contrary i think it were highly to be wished that men of great abilities and obstinate application would draw off their thoughts from those amusements and employ them in the study of such things as lie nearer the concerns of life or have a more direct influence on the manners. 132. Second objection of mathematicians. Answer. If it be said that several theorems undoubtedly true are discovered by methods in which infinitesimals are made use of, which could never have been if their existence included a contradiction in it, I answer that upon a thorough examination it will not be found that in any instance it is necessary to make use of or conceive infinitesimal parts of finite lines or even quantities less than the minimum sensible nay it will be evident this is never done it being impossible a hundred and thirty three if the doctrine were only an hypothesis it should be respected for its consequences by what we have premised it is plain that very numerous and important errors have taken their rise from those false principles which were impugned in the foregoing parts of this treatise and the opposites of those erroneous tenets at the same time appear to be most fruitful principles from whence do flow innumerable consequences highly advantageous to true philosophy as well as to religion particularly matter or the absolute existence of corporeal objects has been shown to be that wherein the most avowed and pernicious enemies of all knowledge whether human or divine have ever placed their chief strength and confidence and surely if by distinguishing the real existence of unthinking things from their being perceived and allowing them a subsistence of their own out of the minds of spirits no one thing is explained in nature but on the contrary a great many inexplicable difficulties arise if the supposition of matter is barely precarious as not being grounded on so much as one single reason if its consequences cannot endure the light of examination and free inquiry but screen themselves under the dark and general pretence of infinites being incomprehensible if withal the removal of this matter be not attended with the least evil consequence if it be not even missed in the world but everything as well nay much easier conceived without it if lastly both sceptics and atheists are forever silenced upon supposing only spirits and ideas and this scheme of things is perfectly agreeable both to reason and religion methinks we may expect it should be admitted and firmly embraced though it were proposed only as an hypothesis and the existence of matter had been allowed possible which yet i think we have evidently demonstrated that it is not One hundred thirty four true it is that in consequence of the foregoing principles several disputes and speculations which are esteemed no mean parts of learning are rejected as useless 
but how great a prejudice soever against our notions this may give to those who have already been deeply engaged and make large advances in studies of that nature yet by others we hope it will not be thought any just ground of dislike to the principles and tenets herein laid down that they abridge the labour of study and make human sciences far more clear compendious and attainable than they were before 135 having dispatched what we intended to say concerning the knowledge of ideas the method we proposed leads us in the next place to treat of spirits with regard to which perhaps human knowledge is not so deficient as is vulgarly imagined the great reason that is assigned for our being thought ignorant of the nature of spirits is our not having an idea of it but surely it ought not to be looked on as a defect in a human understanding that it does not perceive the idea of spirit if it is manifestly impossible there should be any such idea and this if i mistake not has been demonstrated in section twenty seven to which i shall here add that a spirit has been shown to be the only substance or support wherein unthinking beings or ideas can exist but that this substance which supports or perceives ideas should itself be an idea or like an idea is evidently absurd 136 objection answer it will perhaps be said that we want a sense as some have imagined proper to know substances withal which if we had we might know our own soul as we do a triangle to this i answer that in case we had a new sense bestowed upon us we could only receive thereby some new sensations or ideas of sense but i believe nobody will say that what he means by the terms soul and substance is only some particular sort of idea or sensation we may therefore infer that all things duly considered it is not more reasonable to think our faculties defective in that they do not furnish us with an idea of spirit or active thinking substance than it would be if we should blame them for not being able to comprehend a round square 137 from the opinion that spirits are to be known after the manner of an idea or sensation have risen many absurd and heterodox tenets and much scepticism about the nature of the soul it is even probable that this opinion may have produced a doubt in some whether they had any soul at all distinct from their body since upon inquiry they could not find they had an idea of it that an idea which is inactive and the existence whereof consists in being perceived should be the image or likeness of an agent subsisting by itself seems to need no other refutation than barely attending to what is meant by those words but perhaps you will say that though an idea cannot resemble a spirit in its thinking acting or subsisting by itself yet it may in some other respects and it is not necessary that an idea or image be in all respects like the original 138 i answer if it does not in those mentioned it is impossible it should represent it in any other thing do but leave out the power of willing thinking and perceiving ideas and there remains nothing else wherein the idea can be like a spirit for by the word spirit we mean only that which thinks wills and perceives this and this alone constitutes the signification of the term if therefore it is impossible that any degree of those powers should be represented in an idea it is evident there can be no idea of a spirit 139 but it will be objected that if there is no idea signified by the terms soul spirit and substance they are wholly insignificant or have no meaning in them i answer those words do mean or signify a real thing which is neither an idea or like an idea but that which perceives ideas and wills and reasons about them what i am myself that which i denote by the term i is the same with what is meant by soul or spiritual substance 
if it be said that this is only quarrelling at a word and that since the immediate significations of other names are by common consent called ideas no reason can be assigned why that which is signified by the name spirit or soul may not partake in the same appellation i answer all the unthinking objects of the mind agree in that they are entirely passive and their existence consists only in being perceived whereas a soul or spirit is an active being whose existence consists not in being perceived but in perceiving ideas and thinking it is therefore necessary in order to prevent equivocation and confounding natures perfectly disagreeing and unlike that we distinguish between spirit and idea see section twenty seven hundred and forty our idea of spirit in a large sense indeed we may be said to have an idea or rather a notion of spirit that is we understand the meaning of the word otherwise we could not affirm or deny anything of it moreover as we conceive the ideas that are in the minds of other spirits by means of our own which we suppose to be resemblances of them so we know other spirits by means of our own soul which in that sense is the image or idea of them it having a like respect to other spirits that blueness or heat by me perceived has to those ideas perceived by another 141 the natural immortality of the soul is a necessary consequence of the foregoing doctrine it must not be supposed that they who assert the natural immortality of the soul are of opinion that it is absolutely incapable of annihilation even by the infinite power of the creator who first gave it being but only that it is not liable to be broken or dissolved by the ordinary laws of nature or motion they indeed who hold the soul of man to be only a thin vital flame or system of animal spirits make it perishing and corruptible as the body since there is nothing more easily dissipated than such a being which is naturally impossible should survive the ruin of the tabernacle wherein it is enclosed and this notion has been greedily embraced and cherished by the worst part of mankind as the most effectual antidote against all impressions of virtue and religion but it has been made evident that bodies of what frame or texture soever are barely passive ideas in the mind which is more distant and heterogeneous from them than light is from darkness we have shown that the soul is indivisible incorporeal unextended and it is consequently incorruptible nothing can be plainer than that the motions changes decays and dissolutions which we hourly see befall natural bodies and which is what we mean by the course of nature cannot possibly affect an active simple uncompounded substance such a being therefore is indissoluble by the force of nature that is to say the soul of man is naturally immortal 142 after what has been said it is i suppose plain that our souls are not to be known in the same manner as senseless inactive objects or by way of idea spirits and ideas are things so wholly different that when we say they exist they are known or the like these words must not be thought to signify anything common to both natures there is nothing alike or common in them and to expect that by any multiplication or enlargement of our faculties we may be enabled to know a spirit as we do a triangle seems as absurd as if we should hope to see a sound this is inculcated because i imagine it may be of moment towards clearing several important questions and preventing some very dangerous errors concerning the nature of the soul we may not i think strictly be said to have an idea of an active being or of an action although we may be said to have a notion of them i have some knowledge or notion of my mind and its acts about ideas inasmuch as i know or understand what is meant by these words what i know that i have some notion of 
i will not say that the terms idea and notion may not be used convertibly if the world will have it so but yet it conduceth to clearness and propriety that we distinguish things very different by different names it is also to be remarked that all relations including an act of the mind we cannot so properly be said to have an idea but rather a notion of the relations and habitudes between things but if in the modern way the word idea is extended to spirits and relations and acts this is after all an affair of verbal concern 143 it will not be amiss to add that the doctrine of abstract ideas has had no small share in rendering those sciences intricate and obscure which are particularly conversant about spiritual things men have imagined they could frame abstract notions of the powers and acts of the mind and consider them prescinded as well from the mind or spirit itself as from their respective objects and effects hence a great number of dark and ambiguous terms presumed to stand for abstract notions have been introduced into metaphysics and morality and from these have grown infinite distractions and disputes amongst the learned 144 but nothing seems more to have contributed towards engaging men in controversies and mistakes with regard to the nature and operations of the mind than the being used to speak of those things in terms borrowed from sensible ideas for example the will is termed the motion of the soul this infuses a belief that the mind of man is as a ball in motion impelled and determined by the objects of sense as necessarily as that is by the stroke of a racket hence arise endless scruples and errors of dangerous consequence in morality all which i doubt not may be cleared and truth appear plain uniform and consistent could but philosophers be prevailed on to retire into themselves and attentively consider their own meaning one hundred and forty five knowledge of spirits not immediate from what has been said it is plain that we cannot know the existence of other spirits otherwise than by their operations or the ideas by them excited in us i perceive several motions changes and combinations of ideas that inform me there are certain particular agents like myself which accompany them and concur in their production hence the knowledge i have of other spirits is not immediate as is the knowledge of my ideas but depending on the intervention of ideas by me referred to agents or spirits distinct from myself as effects or concomitant signs 146 but though there be some things which convince us human agents are concerned in producing them yet it is evident to every one that those things which are called the works of nature that is the far greater part of the ideas or sensations perceived by us are not produced by or dependent on the wills of men there is therefore some other spirit that causes them since it is repugnant that they should subsist by themselves see section twenty nine but if we attentively consider the constant regularity order and concatenation of natural things the surprising magnificence beauty and perfection of the larger and the exquisite contrivance of the smaller parts of creation together with the exact harmony and correspondence of the whole but above all the never enough admired laws of pain and pleasure and the instincts or natural inclinations appetites and passions of animals i say if we consider all these things and at the same time attend to the meaning and import of the attributes one eternal infinitely wise good and perfect we shall clearly perceive that they belong to the aforesaid spirit who works all in all and by whom all things consist 147 the existence of god more evident than that of man hence it is evident that god is known as certainly and immediately as any other mind or spirit whatsoever distinct from ourselves 
we may even assert that the existence of god is far more evidently perceived than the existence of men because the effects of nature are infinitely more numerous and considerable than those ascribed to human agents there is not any one mark that denotes a man or effect produced by him which does not more strongly evince the being of that spirit who is the author of nature for it is evident that in affecting other persons the will of man has no other object than barely the motion of the limbs of his body but that such a motion should be attended by or excite any idea in the mind of another depends wholly on the will of the creator he alone it is who upholding all things by the word of his power maintains that intercourse between spirits whereby they are able to perceive the existence of each other and yet this pure and clear light which enlightens every one is itself invisible 148 it seems to be a general pretence of the unthinking herd that they cannot see god could we but see him they say as we see a man we should believe that he is and believing obey his commands but alas we need only open our eyes to see the sovereign lord of all things with a more full and clear view than we do any one of our fellow creatures not that i imagine we see god as some will have it by a direct and immediate view or see corporeal things not by themselves but by seeing that which represents them in the essence of god which doctrine is i must confess to me incomprehensible but i shall explain my meaning a human spirit or person is not perceived by sense as not being an idea when therefore we see the colour size figure and motions of a man we perceive only certain sensations or ideas excited in our own minds and these being exhibited to our view in sundry distinct collections serve to mark out unto us the existence of finite and created spirits like ourselves hence it is plain we do not see a man if by man is meant that which lives moves perceives and thinks as we do but only such a certain collection of ideas as directs us to think there is a distinct principle of thought and motion like to ourselves accompanying and represented by it and after the same manner we see god all the difference is that whereas some one finite and narrow assemblage of ideas denotes a particular human mind whithersoever we direct our view we do at all times and in all places perceive manifest tokens of the divinity everything we see hear feel or anywise perceive by sense being a sign or effect of the power of god as is our perception of those very motions which are produced by men 149 it is therefore plain that nothing can be more evident to any one that is capable of the least reflection than the existence of god or a spirit who is intimately present to our minds producing in them all that variety of ideas or sensations which continually affect us on whom we have an absolute and entire dependence in short in whom we live and move and have our being that the discovery of this great truth which lies so near and obvious to the mind should be attained to by the reason of so very few is a sad instance of the stupidity and inattention of men who though they are surrounded with such clear manifestations of the deity are yet so little affected by them that they seem as it were blinded with excess of light 150 objection on behalf of nature answer but you will say has nature no share in the production of natural things and must they be all ascribed to the immediate and sole operation of god i answer if by nature is meant only the visible series of effects or sensations imprinted on our minds according to certain fixed and general laws then it is plain that nature taken in this sense cannot produce anything at all but if by nature is meant some being distinct from god 
as well as from the laws of nature and things perceived by sense i must confess that word is to me an empty sound without any intelligible meaning annexed to it nature in this acceptation is a vain chimera introduced by those heathens who had not just notions of the omnipresence and infinite perfection of god but it is more unaccountable that it should be received among christians professing belief in the holy scriptures which constantly ascribe those effects to the immediate hand of god that heathen philosophers are wont to impute to nature the lord he causeth the vapours to ascend he maketh lightnings with rain he bringeth forth the wind out of his treasures jeremiah ten thirteen he turneth the shadow of death into the morning and maketh the day dark with night amos five eight he visiteth the earth and maketh it soft with showers he blesseth the springing thereof and crowneth the year with his goodness so that the pastures are clothed with flocks and the valleys are covered over with corn see psalm sixty five but notwithstanding that this is the constant language of scripture yet we have i know not what aversion from believing that god concerns himself so nearly in our affairs fain would we suppose him at a great distance off and substitute some blind unthinking deputy in his stead though if we may believe st paul he be not far from every one of us hundred and fifty one objection to the hand of god being the immediate cause threefold answer it will i doubt not be objected that the slow and gradual methods observed in the production of natural things do not seem to have for their cause the immediate hand of an almighty agent besides monsters untimely births fruits blasted in the blossom rains falling in desert places miseries incident to human life and the like are so many arguments that the whole frame of nature is not immediately actuated and superintended by a spirit of infinite wisdom and goodness but the answer to this objection is in a good measure plain from section sixty two it being visible that the aforesaid methods of nature are absolutely necessary in order to working by the most simple and general rules and after a steady and consistent manner which argues both the wisdom and goodness of god such is the artificial contrivance of this mighty machine of nature that whilst its motions and various phenomena strike on our senses the hand which actuates the whole is itself unperceivable to men of flesh and blood verily saith the prophet thou art a god that hidest thyself isaiah forty five fifteen but though the lord conceal himself from the eyes of the sensual and lazy who will not be at the least expense of thought yet to an unbiased and attentive mind nothing can be more plainly legible than the intimate presence of an all-wise spirit who fashions regulates and sustains the whole system of beings it is clear from what we have elsewhere observed that the operating according to general and stated laws is so necessary for our guidance in the affairs of life and letting us into the secret of nature that without it all reach and compass of thought all human sagacity and design could serve to no manner of purpose it were even impossible there should be any such faculties or powers in the mind see section thirty one which one consideration abundantly outbalances whatever particular inconveniences may thence arise 152 we should further consider that the very blemishes and defects of nature are not without their use in that they make an agreeable sort of variety and augment the beauty of the rest of the creation as shades in a picture serve to set off the brighter and more enlightened parts we would likewise do well to examine whether our taxing the waste of seeds and embryos and accidental destruction of plants and animals before they come to full maturity as an imprudence in the author of nature be not the effect of prejudice contracted by our familiarity with impotent and saving mortals 
in man indeed a thrifty management of those things which he cannot procure without much pains and industry may be esteemed wisdom but we must not imagine that the inexplicably fine machine of an animal or vegetable costs the great creator any more pains or trouble in its production than a pebble does nothing being more evident than that an omnipotent spirit can indifferently produce everything by a mere fiat or act of his will hence it is plain that the splendid profusion of natural things should not be interpreted weakness or prodigality in the agent who produces them but rather be looked on as an argument of the riches of his power 153 as for the mixture of pain or uneasiness which is in the world pursuant to the general laws of nature and the actions of finite imperfect spirits this in the state we are in at present is indispensably necessary to our well-being but our prospects are too narrow we take for instance the idea of some one particular pain into our thoughts and account it evil whereas if we enlarge our view so as to comprehend the various ends connections and dependencies of things on what occasions and in what proportions we are affected with pain and pleasure the nature of human freedom and the design with which we are put into the world we shall be forced to acknowledge that those particular things which considered in themselves appear to be evil have the nature of good when considered as linked with the whole system of beings 154 atheism and manichaeism would have few supporters if mankind were in general attentive from what has been said it will be manifest to any considering person that it is merely for want of attention and comprehensiveness of mind that there are any favourers of atheism or the manichaean heresy to be found little and unreflecting souls may indeed burlesque the works of providence the beauty and order whereof they have not capacity or will not be at the pains to comprehend but those who are masters of any justness and extent of thought and are withal used to reflect can never sufficiently admire the divine traces of wisdom and goodness that shine through the economy of nature but what truth is there which shineth so strongly on the mind that by an aversion of thought a wilful shutting of the eyes we may not escape seeing it is it therefore to be wondered at if the generality of men who are ever intent on business or pleasure and little used to fix or open the eye of their mind should not have all that conviction and evidence of the being of god which might be expected in reasonable creatures 155 we should rather wonder that men can be found so stupid as to neglect than that neglecting they should be unconvinced of such an evident and momentous truth and yet it is to be feared that too many of parts and leisure who live in christian countries are merely through a supine and dreadful negligence sunk into atheism since it is downright impossible that a soul pierced and enlightened with a thorough sense of the omnipresence holiness and justice of that almighty spirit should persist in a remorseless violation of his laws we ought therefore earnestly to meditate and dwell on those important points that so we may attain conviction without all scruple that the eyes of the lord are in every place beholding the evil and the good that he is with us and keepeth us in all places whither we go and giveth us bread to eat and raiment to put on that he is present and conscious to our innermost thoughts and that we have a most absolute and immediate dependence on him a clear view of which great truths cannot choose but fill our hearts with an awful circumspection and holy fear which is the strongest incentive to virtue and the best guard against vice 156 for after all what deserves the first place in our studies is the consideration of god and our duty which to promote as it was the main drift and design of my labours so shall i esteem them altogether useless and ineffectual if 
by what i have said i cannot inspire my readers with a pious sense of the presence of god and having shown the falseness or vanity of those barren speculations which make the chief employment of learned men the better dispose them to reverence and embrace the salutary truths of the gospel which to know and to practice is the highest perfection of human nature end of section seven end of a treatise concerning the principles of human knowledge by george barclay